I'm very rarely shocked when we record these episodes, but it happened in this episode. Uh, I ask a really important question of our guest, who is uh, a storage and backup and recovery security expert, uh, and I was shocked by his answer. If you care at all about the security of your backup and recovery system, this is the episode for you. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me a guy that I'm not sure fully filled me in on everything that I was in for when I bought my Tesla Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? Oh, no. What did I do this time? I don't know. As you know, I've been incredibly happy with my new car. Um, I've I've put a a thousand miles on it already. Um, (laughs) Which is more oh, than you is. probably put in your entire first year, but the yeah. um, I think the my one disappointment, and it is it, it truly is a disappointment, is that Tesla doesn't have tech support, right? Given that mm. it's essentially like you know that they've sold me this really expensive computer on wheels, and it has all these interfaces, and there's all this conflicting information about things about the car based on when you bought it which you know which model you have so i have the lfp battery which is the newer battery which which apparently according to the manual is supposed to be charged to 100 percent um and you know i just have questions that i would like to hear answers directly from tesla and there's no phone number or email address for me to contact. So, so have you I gone into go. the app and gone to? Have you gone into the app, gone to support, and said other issue? Other? That because the only thing I've seen yeah. is is schedule service call. Yeah, uh, yeah. So if you do schedule service, I think you can uh-huh. also do other, and then just enter your your questions. So you're saying my greatest disappointment doesn't exist. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> you're looking, so at, the, I've never you're looking at the app right now, aren't you? I am looking at the app right now. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, I think it could work. I So I've never done this. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I could just, if I could, yeah, if I could just have an email chat, because a lot of them are just like, you know, you know, questions, right? Like, I'm, I'm yeah. like, I can't find this thing. Right. I'm looking for the thing and I can't find the thing because there's 37 menus and, um, you know, I need to, you find, know, there's a search example, now, right? I, I know there's a search, but it doesn't always find <laughs> it's a search. First world problems, it Curtis. First world the problems. Never in, the, the, the never ending search for looking for what I'm trying to find. Uh, yeah, I did find the most important app, though. You know, I, we've discussed this already. <laughs> The the emission testing oh. app, oh, otherwise, known as, otherwise known otherwise as known as known as the fart, fart noise. <laughs> <laughs> you, oh, can, you can literally yeah you, you you can configure it so that whenever you push a button on the steering wheel, it makes a random fart noise uh, to other passengers in the car. By the way, my wife not a big fan, <laughs> not a big fan 
of the fart app. Curtis, are you like a little uh, kid in a candy store? I am. Inside inside every grown man is a five-year-old boy just, just begging to get out. <laughs> and uh, I'm a five-year-old boy with a $40,000 car that wants, to, that wants to try every little part, right? Yeah. The only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys, right? But uh, yeah, so tomorrow it'll be it'll be a week uh, that nice. I've had my my lovely new car, and uh, yes, I've put a thousand and, and, oh, we on should, my car. We should what? Yeah, we should also tell the listeners also about your uh, experience going through a car wash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I went through a car wash, and you know it's one of these things things that you take for granted. When you drive, uh, you know, what I now call an ice car, that's an internal combustion engine, a gas car, is, you know, you just, it's super easy to put into neutral. And, and, and Tesla's super easy to put into neutral if you know how to do it. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I had rolled up to the, to the thing where the, you know, where the, the, the I don't the know, the conveyor capture. belt is going to yeah. grab my car. And then the guy's like, you know, he's pointing to the thing up there that says, you know, put it in neutral. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to put it in neutral. I shut down the whole thing. I shut down the whole car wash <laughs> because I had no idea how to put my car into neutral. And then I thought I had it into neutral. They turned it on again. Nope. Shut it down again. Um, the, the, only, the only nice thing I can say is thank God my wife was not in the car. She would have just been flipping out. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I did. Luckily, the manager was like, you know, roll down the window and he's like, um, go to the menu and it's car wash mode. I'm like, sweet. Um, because he's not the first yeah. time that this has happened at that car I wash, am not I the, bet you. I'm not the first idiot with a brand new Tesla to take it into a car wash and not know how to put it in neutral. Anyway, uh, so enough tes- Tesla talk for the day. I'm going to bring on our guest. He's been specializing in IT uh, for over 30 years and specializes in storage and backup and security, as well as IT architecture. He's now the CTO at Continuity Software, the industry's only cybersecurity solution for enterprise storage and backup systems. Welcome to the pod, Doran Pinhas. Hi, good to be here. <laughs> so you're, you're currently in Israel, right, Doran? Yep, that's true. What, what, it's still what, sunny, what, though. It's, it's still sunny? <laughs> What uh, what part are you in? Yeah, I know it's seven p.m. over here. Uh, just you know, it's a very very small country. It's the the size of New Jersey, maybe. So uh, yeah, anywhere you put your finger, it's where I am. So in, <laughs> yeah, in, in the I, area of Tel Aviv. Yes. So okay. give or take, which I, is in the middle of the country. I've been to I've been to Tel Aviv, uh, Jerusalem, and uh, Elat. I went and did scuba diving there, uh, which was yeah. very very nice. Um, it's a good scuba diving yeah, in the it's a good sea. start for your first visit. <laughs> yeah, yep. absolutely, absolutely. I want to do our usual disclaimer. Uh, Persona and I work for different companies, and this is an independent podcast, and does the opinions that you hear are ours and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of our employers. Also, if you uh, like the show, please rate us. Go to your favorite podcatcher and give us all the stars and comments. We'd love to hear comments from you. And also, if you'd like to join the conversation or just send us, you know, kudos or whatever, uh, you can reach me at WCurtisPreston at Gmail or uh, uh, at, at WCPreston on Twitter or LinkedIn.com slash IN slash MR backup. Um, so, 
you know, when I when I saw your, you know, I went to the continuities website and the first thing that popped up was this uh, paper that you've done recently, which it looks like you've been doing for a couple of years on uh, that, that basically is a study of uh, what, what, why, don't, why don't you tell, tell us about it, this paper? Oh, you mean the storage and backup um, you know, state of the industry report? Yes, yes. That's the one, yeah. Okay. So it's a tradition we started several years back. Uh, we were fortunate enough to meet, you know, we are in the IT business as a whole and, and generate uh, management tools for uh, large enterprises. We can talk about that later if there's an interest. Uh, and we were fortunate enough to get about with some of the world's largest enterprises. And we started talking years back about securing storage and backup systems. Lo and behold, and uh, it dawned on us eventually that there is no standard research that tests the maturity level of the market, as it were. So several years back, we started uh, running surveys. We have a technology that can, collect, that can collect configuration data off storage and backup devices, appliances, media servers, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then review the configuration to see if it's done well or not. That's pretty easy. So we collected data from uh, everyone we talked with, and many of those organizations were gracious enough to allow us to anonymize the data mm -hmm. and generate reports. So to cut a long story short, um, this year we scanned around 10,000 storage devices in around 250 large enterprises. Most of them are relatively large organizations with north of 10,000 people. Some of them has half a million employees, so it's a interesting demographics, 60% in the United States, almost 40% in the EU, and some in Asia Pacific. Um, and we did find that uh, the majority of environments did have grave misconfigurations <laughs> that relate to storage and backup systems. Shocked. Which basically means that, you know, we're not shocked, but now we have the proof. The writing is on the wall. We can't ignore it anymore. We knew in the secret of our heart that things might go wrong, but now we know they are not great. Right. And, you know, storage and backup and means are awesome at so many things. They know how to increase capacity and deal with ever-shrinking backup windows and, you know, ingest new technologies and move from on-prem to cloud storage and all that fun stuff. But they're not necessarily security experts. And it is important to become more knowledgeable about security because the outcomes of two lakhs security in your storage and backup system can be devastating. You know, that's something I'd love to be able to talk about. And then maybe we can have some practical advice around how can you do better. <laughs> you know, once people get convinced, it is important. So just a quick question. Um, when you were uh, looking at these backup and storage systems, what sort of things were you looking for when you're evaluating to figure out were they secure or not? So there, there are several dimensions to establishing where, whether a, a storage and backup infrastructure are secure. So all the way from the very mundane, for example, are those uh, pieces of equipment and software laying around patched? Right? <laughs> so surprisingly enough, uh, you know, when people look at backup software like Veeam and Veritas and, you know, forgive me for all the rest and Rubrik and others, these are pieces of commercial software. Vendors will discover security vulnerabilities, whether the code they have created or third-party libraries they use. Everyone does that. 
and they will write security bullet, publish security bulletins and issue patches. So the question is, do you update your software? Now, when it comes to the software bit, that's a little easier because the traditional vulnerability management engine you might already have on, on, on the floor will probably catch that. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you look at the stored and backup ecosystems, there are all sorts of bizarre components mm -hmm. there that are never scanned, right? So we have... If you have a large shop, you have a Sun Fabric, and you have NDMP, and you have NetApps, and you have uh, whatever storage OSs in various mix, you know, HP and Dell MC and IBM and Pure. Um, these devices are never scanned by vulnerability managed engines, and so, but it's pretty easy to determine if they are exposed or not. So one of the trivial bits we've done is just retrieve the configuration baseline. Mm -hmm of all the devices we have scanned, whether these are backup appliances and archiving appliances. And shockingly, you will find that uh, patches have been out there for things like Log4j that can impact the storage array. It definitely can. So, uh, but they haven't been patched. And when you talk <laughs> to professionals, they say, oh, I didn't know that I have that exposure. I've run my scan with one of the big names, whatever, Tenable and Nessus and Rapid7 and others, and they're all great companies, but they just don't scan the storage ecosystem to that level of detail and people have a blind spot and it's, it's bad. So one thing is that's mundane, right? So, yeah. and, and around that category, I can count several other aspects like, you know, you want to have your software patched, you want to have some of the ridiculous stuff cleaned up, like, you know, you, you buy a backup appliance, it has a default factory <laughs> account, like root root. Did you close that account? Oops. So many organizations fail to do those very simple, you know, it's not just the root root account, there are service accounts, yeah. there are default call home configurations that by and large uh, are not restricted to specific IP addresses. And if I'm a hacker, I can spoof those. Yeah. So there are basic things you can do when you get a device, whether that's a media library or whatever, an archiving appliances or set up a software element that you can do to do the basics of hardening them. So, so this is one area. Another relates to a little bit more convoluted best practices. You know, vendors will publish best practices for security, but by and large, IT gurus tends to ignore them. We want to go <laughs> to the meet. How can we set up our first job? But there are things uh, that should be done. Again, some of them are pretty mundane, right? I'll give you just one example. And you tell me if I'm going too, uh, no, this uh, is technical good. too quickly. But, You're doing great. Um, you know, time. We all know about time. It passes, right? So, but when you set up a, a storage or a backup appliance, you need to set up set it up with an authoritative time server, right? Um, if I'm a hacker and I uh, realize that it didn't harden the time settings, I can spoof the time server. And then I can issue all sorts of attacks, like time's up attacks, where you know I persuade your archiving appliance that 12 years have passed, mm -hmm. just in the span of a minute. Of course, you can defeat that by setting up an authorized time server and using authentication and stuff like that. But it, it's not set up out of the box. Now, if I'm not setting up my time correctly, of course, encryption keys can go stale and elapse. You know, really bad stuff can happen. So this is a trivial thing. If you look at, uh, at reality from the security, wearing the security hat or security glasses, you will realize that you have to harden some basic uh, components like time services and DNS, and you have to close default accounts and set up centrally managed authentication. Mm -hmm. All of these are best practices vendors will publish. They will also tell you that, hey, we are shipping this box 
out of the gate with some initial security configurations. Like we do allow you to decide if you want to configure SIFs 1, 2, whatever. Uh, which cipher suites do you want to support? Do you support NFS version 3 and 4 and above? Do you want to limit some of those? So it's your job to decide, you know, we are selling you a Tesla. Yeah. You need to drive it out of the factory <laughs> and you need to do it as safely as you can. You can, of course, drive. It's hard, but you can try it. You can still force it into a tree. So the vendors will tell you, you may want to consider to close some of the protocols. If you're not using NFS, close it, please. If yeah. you're using NFS, maybe you want to disable NFS version 3. So we want to review some of those settings and follow the vendor best practices. So we start to see a picture emerging. So we check for the basic vulnerabilities and the locking down of default accounts. And then we go ahead and read the various vendor recommendations and make them into a structured library of things you should be looking into. And we just have a platform that can automate those checks. Now, there, there are some other components to that. For example, there are several standards that are today not legally binding, but there are standards out there to reg regulate how stuff can be secured, right? So we have the NIST framework, we have the ESO framework. Within NIST and ESO, there are families of uh, uh, documents that regulate various aspects of security. But specifically, in recent years, there is more guidance for storage, right? NIST has published uh, the special publication 800-209, which talks about storage and backup system security guidelines. I just spell it out differently, but, you know. Uh, and we were fortunate enough to take part in shaping uh, this particular piece. ESO are publishing. Um, there is a, a document called uh, ESO 27040, which uh, outlines uh, guidelines for storage security. So the current version is dated 2015. Uh, it was great at the time. It's not great anymore, but they are <laughs> working on say. a new release, which is going to come out any week now. And we were fortunate enough to see some of the drafts and even comment. And it's awesome, right? So we have guidance around what could serve as a framework for having better security for storage and backup. Um, so the last, maybe that's the last source. We also uh, review all of those guidelines and we pick the ones that are relevant to the average user and turn them into a comprehensive automated checklist. If you're <coughs> curious, we have about whatever, three to 4,000 automated checks. Wow, so when I was going to say. Yeah. Go, go ahead and collect the configuration. You know, we just need read-only access. That's how we work with uh, the organizations we advise. Mm -hmm. We ask them to let us uh, have a read-only role. We collect the data. We keep it in. We, it doesn't have to leave. We run our tool, and it's just create a dashboard and scorecards. And this is what you're doing well, and here is where you uh, can improve or might have failed. And now uh, uh, many of those organizations were really gracious, allowing us to take the stats out. Hmm. So that's how we came across with a sample of around 10,000 components. A component mm -hmm. could be a media server, archiving device, master server, storage appliance. And we, when you talk about backup, of course, everyone realizes today that the, when you want to recover something, you have multiple layers of defense. So the, the quickest recovery can be done from live on-disk storage, whether that's snapshots or replicas. Uh, uh, and then you have a progressing line now where you know, the least quick recoveries from off-site and you know, offline, maybe even offline tapes. So we have a progression of uh, mediums. And when we want to protect backup, we have to look at all those components. So we want to protect our 
uh, uh, master server or media servers or archiving appliances, our online storage, the snapshots, the replica engines, all of these have to be hardened. And there is a bit more than that. Uh, so uh, That's there are very a lot comprehensive. of relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> right. to, this was a very long-winded way of saying, yeah, so these, these are some of the areas we gather together to compile that list of checks, and that's how we can come about with a pretty comprehensive set of uh, scores. And in the report, we, we tried to make it easy and uh, friendly to the user. We divided the findings into the top five categories that mm -hmm. were common in almost all environments. We also uh, dedicated a section to some of the less frequent issues that are extremely lethal, as it were. So, you know, not many people do that, but if you do, that can be devastating. So you might want to watch out. And mm -hmm. I think what can be really actionable, if, if anyone is interested to see that, just to take that list of the top five or top six and ask yourself, am I free from those? You probably will find that for some of those, even in your own organizations, there is something here to take a closer look at, uh, which I think can be valuable. This is why our way of sharing um, the generosity of the organization work they've in, in, in really sharing what they do well and what they don't, so you know everyone can actually yeah. uh, use that as a benchmark. I, I really like that, Doran. Um, in fact, the, 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 you know, we're recording this in the middle of June. The, the episode that went live this morning was uh, an SE that was sort of bemoaning the fact that companies don't share um, security, especially when a security incident happens. They don't share yeah. with the rest of the world what happened, why it happened, basically you know, information that can help people. And I think in this case, this is really helpful uh, in that uh, there's two things in here. One, one, you know, I, I you know, early in the said, I, sh I said, shocked, shocked. I am, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not shocked. Right. Because of the, the, um, you know, because, you know, I've been in the backup space for a while and Storage and backup do kind of get the back of the bus status for for a lot of reasons. They just don't get the many of the tools aren't looking at that. Many of the people aren't thinking about that. The, but the reality is storage and backup, that's where it's at. That's where the data mm -hmm. is, right? Exactly. It's the it is the thing that you're protecting. In fact, um, you know, in this episode that went live um uh, today we you know we were talking about well we're not really I, I don't think of myself as a cybersecurity person I think of myself as a backup and and data person and and he made the point of saying well without data there's no point in having cybersecurity right uh, which is which is which is really good right um I, I am curious with this survey that you did um or study whatever whatever you'd like to call it what when you went out there can you speak at all to like the percentage that you would find, like if you if you were at 100 companies, how many of them had something that you would consider truly scary, uh, a misconfiguration yeah, well, that was truly risky? Uh, are you sitting tightly? I, I'm sitting <laughs> tightly. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, pretty much all of them. I knew so you were going average... to say <laughs> Right, so... Hope... So the average device, on average, 
a device, and again, we define a device as either a truly physical device, like a sand fabric switch or a storage right. array or a back, a backup appliance or archiving appliance or stuff like that, through a media server, which is a you know, host with a piece of software and a master server. Each one is a device. So the average device will have 14 risks, out of which three are critical or major, meaning that mm -hmm. if I'm a hacker, I, I can get in and take your data out. So right. it's, that's not to say that 100% of the organizations were uh, in a poor situation. You know, maybe 2 or 3% did actually better than others. But by and large, uh, I think the state of the industry is not great yet. To be mild and if you want mm -hmm. to be more uh, brutal, it's dismal. Do you feel, though, that some of this is because storage and backup it's kind of like a web right a very complex tangled web that no one really knows how everything is all connected together which leads to some of these issues or do you think it's some other situation why companies are doing poorly yeah i'd love to defog that notion by the way that it's a web which is too complex for the human intellect to grasp right <laughs> you didn't say that exactly like i'm uh but but uh no, so there, there is a way to put structure on top, you know, roll up your sleeves and you can apply a clear methodology to, to be much better. It's actually not very difficult. We, you know, if time allows, we can talk a little bit about what you can do to be much more secure. So, uh, I, and I object to making it something really intangible that's, you know, incomprehensible. It's just a little bit of work. We oh. have all the foundations. So what, yeah. what are you? Oh, oh, your sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, my question, though, wasn't necessarily about security guidelines being complex. It was more the infrastructure that are deployed in customers' environments such that maybe when you're backing up, you don't know necessarily how all the devices are connected yeah. together, right? Or the yeah. different IT groups or things like that. Yeah. So you, you do have a point, and I'll give an example. But it's still no reason not to, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, uh, get a good handle of things, right? So it yeah. can be complex, right? So let's first prove your point, right? Um, and I'm, again, I'm thinking like a hacker, right? I want to attack your uh, favorite backup software. And there are many ways I can go about it. If it's not patched, we mentioned some. I can use uh, default accounts. Maybe we didn't really separate. There is a principle of separation of uh, authorities. You don't want to have an admin account that can actually manage uh, the backup server. You have to separate those entities into separate planes. Some will argue that the uh, backup admin should be part of Active Directory. <laughs> there are merits to that line of thought, um, it, you know, but it has to be strictly separated because the first thing a hacker will do once they, they first get in, now they do a little bit of a, a, a reconnaissance. Eventually, you should assume they'll get admin level uh, credentials, domain admin level credentials, that will happen. So when they do that, they should not be able to attack the backup software. So mm -hmm. now we can do that. But let's say you did a really good job. I'm at a loss. Now you talked about convoluted uh, dependencies. Well, you know, in many cases, probably people have something like VMware. VMware has a trust relationship with the backup software because when we want to take consistent backups, every piece of software does that. We use APIs for the vSphere infrastructure mm -hmm. to tell us when it's ready to uh, back up consistently whatever a VM or a volume or whatever to do federated consistency. 
in some cases, we want to even delegate the infrastructure, the ability to tell the backup software when to start a job, what would be the content of the job. So we have some sort of a federated trust relationship. Most organizations we talk with don't really do that uh, granularly. So you, you, you have to think zero trust. So they don't do that. And if I can attack the vSphere infrastructure, let's say if that hasn't been secure, I can maybe use that to stop the backup jobs to alter the backup jobs. So think about it. You're using immutable backup. I really want to destroy it because I want to encrypt your files and demand my ransom, and I mm -hmm. want you to have to pay. But you have immutable backups. So, ah, I can't really delete that. Of course, there are ways to actually delete that if you didn't set it up. If you didn't set up immutability correctly, you didn't enable retention lock and stuff yeah. like that. And I can maybe tamper with your system. But let's say you've done a good job. Um, so I want to actually, my last resort, which is very effective, is to poison your backups. How do I do that? I break into vSphere. I, and I find that it has the ability to alter the backup job. So I alter the content. I'm starting to back up, instead of actual production VMs, I'm backing up jump, my temp directory, <laughs> my swap file. I just want to make sure it's the same amount of data go, that goes nightly. So, and now I wait for two or three months. So the backup jobs continue to run. The backup admins is that the job, if you're not alert enough to find that yeah. the content has been changed, it's successful. <laughs> and after 90 days or whatever I deem necessary, I lock your files. Um, now you go to the backup environment and say, oh, fine, I have 90 days full of backup, but none of them is all crap. <laughs> so the only valid backup you have, if you're a bank, is 90 days old. Imagine you're calling your bank to say, where are my funds? And they're saying, mm, sorry. Do you have a paper receipt? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we don't know. Um, so that can be bad, right? So I can, to your point, there are convoluted trust relationship, API gateways and servers, just to name a few examples, we scan an environment and we find, you, you know, you can find the management APIs of management consoles. You just scan for the REST API and through IP address and you find, and you find, mm -hmm. they say we have one management console and you find three. <laughs> one of them is, is in the lab where they used to do testing two years ago, they never shut down that instance. And it's not protected, and it's, there is no time server, there is no cookie, session cookie timeout, and it still can control production. So you want, wow. so there are, it is convoluted, so I totally agree. Uh, the only thing I, um, I would suggest is that y you can become good at thinking like a criminal, mm. Uh, or expecting what a, don't think like a criminal, but expect you know <laughs> be able to expect what they do, and if you are at a loss, you can refer to some of the guidelines I've provided. Go and read, go ahead and read the NIST guide. Go ahead and read the coming ISO guide. SNIA has a lot of good, res amazing resources around storage security, and you'll find you can pretty easily compile a checklist of the questions you should ask, and these are relatively straightforward questions. Where are my, where, where is, you know, one of the big areas is the control plane. How do I control all of that stuff? Like we have mm -hmm. API gateways, we have management consoles, we have uh, URLs. Did I lock it down? It boils down to a list of finite amount of questions. So yeah. you have to roll up your sleeves and do mm -hmm. that. Um, and, and as just, I don't want to talk much. It's not an advertisement to our company. We have tools that allow you to automate some of that stuff. So that yeah. might prove useful, but as always in life, you don't have to use our tools. Yeah. If you know what you're doing, you can do a good job with manual tools. It's still okay. Um, you know, woodworking myself, you know, there are a lot of things you can do with manual tools. Power tools can save you some effort. 
down yeah. increase right. predictability, but you know, you can you do a fine job manually. So that's yeah. that's still fine. So to your question, it's complex, but it's possible to yeah. to actually build a framework to edit your environment in in a more uh, comprehensive way, way and 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 reduce the attack surface noticeably. The because. Uh, I'm, you know, you were saying, you know, you don't necessarily want to plug your company, but at the same time, that that's where I wanted to go next because I, I'm okay. curious. So you you're able to do this, um, you know, this uh, automated check to check all of these settings. Is that the service that your company provides, or what, what else do you, you know? So, where where do you go from yeah, there? So ultimately, one of those days, you know, we hope that organizations that want to automate a framework to check mm -hmm. you know, on a daily basis or an ongoing basis or after each change that they are always locked down, they might be looking into something like what Continuity provides, which is an engine that automates all of those checks, that gets automated. It's like an antivirus if you want, it, or like a vulnerability management tools. It gets automatic updates where all the vendor best practices, the latest CVEs, the latest recommendations from framework like NIST and ISO and PCI and HIPAA are implemented, then you, you can get automated compliance reports. And if you've done something wrong, you'll know what went wrong, what is the syntax I need to use to fix the problem, and you can start out. So you, you know, we provide those tools to automate a frequent mode of validation, right? So that's something uh, that can be helpful, and we advocate that. Uh, so, so that's how we make our living. But we are also working with organizations to do one-off assessments. Uh, no strings attached if you want to understand how mature you are. You know, we can definitely talk and first of all, share with you, we'll happily do that because we learn so much from the, those interactions. Uh, and we want to give some of that back, right? So uh, if you want to just run a one-time scan, you can approach us, you can even approach your uh, trusted uh, security consultant and ask them if they can do a scan for you. Um, there are not too many options, we are, you know, pretty unique, but they can use our software. A lot of, uh, um, uh, there are many consultant firms out there that have access to our technology and they can use it to run a scan for you. And even if that's a one-time scan, you will understand what you're doing well, where you have issues, what are the priorities of those issues, what does it mean to your business in terms of you know, not adhering to industry standards and regulations if you are in a regulated segment. Uh, sometimes that's enough. That's just that's a starting point that can uh, get you going because now you have a better clarity. Instead of understanding that you know I'm probably not good, you'll know exactly what works well for you and where do you have issues. So that's, in a sense, this is what our uh, product does, and we make a living out of selling it to those organizations who choose to be standardized 24/7 and be accountable. Yeah, I, we I hope. Mean, for what yeah. it's worth, uh, you know, I'm a fan of that, right? I'm a fan of automation. I'm a fan of, uh, you know, I mean, I, I like the fact that you have the check first off, period, right? I'm a fan of that. The idea, and, and, and those are good, right? Those, those one-time checks are good. It's good to have a consultant look at your stuff once in a while to make sure that you're doing the right stuff. But there's nothing like just having something continually checking because, you know, um, there are always new CVEs. There are always new right. vulnerabilities and things that you need to patch. I think patching is the thing that most people get behind on the most, 
right? There's that one-time configuration of making sure we separate this and that, and we're using MFA and we're using, um, you know, the, the proper uh, usernames and passwords and not using root root, you know, you, that should hopefully be a one-time thing. I think it's the, the patch management uh, and other things, maybe recommendations change over time, uh, that that's the one where it's like, it, it would be nice to have something that just tells me, hey, a new CVE came out, you know, and, and uh, you know, the vendor has patched it already. You need to go, you know, you need to go patch it right yeah. away or else you're at risk. I think yeah, also so you, you, you'll get that. Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah. yeah, I think the other thing, Curtis, too, and I know we've talked about this in previous podcasts is like people's environment is never static, right? You're always getting new devices mm -hmm. in some group or another, right? New applications being spun up, right? New deployments, new servers. And so having that ongoing check where it's like, hey, we can now make it more efficient for you to bring online these applications rather than going through sort of the entire security audit and everything else that you might have to do, which might elongate the time you need by weeks, right? The other right. thing also I was thinking is there's also, from what I've read, and I don't know, Duran, if your product supports, I'm guessing it supports public clouds as well as endpoints. Yep, correct. Okay, right. So as people are looking to go to the cloud, right, sometimes they're also looking at multi-cloud strategies, Right, where maybe they're an expert at AWS and they're trying to figure out, can I use Azure or GCP for certain workloads or because of regionality or services being available? And But they're not the experts. And so to get up to speed and learn, okay, what is the mapping and what are the best practices in AW or in GCP or Azure takes time. And they're not the experts. They don't have the resources. And having a tool like this that can automate and say like, hey, here are your best practices. Are you doing things in the right way or not? And giving you that guidance to be like, yep, this is how you should be doing things, I think can go a long way as well. Yeah. I totally agree. And I just want to add that over the course of running a business, right, I've been in this position for 17 years. I'm proud <laughs> of that. You know, people stay at an organization for years. And over the span of years, you know, if you take a look at, uh, if you're running a, an IT shop and you take a look at how you have run your business five years ago, four years ago, three or two years ago, you'll see that there are Sometimes there are tectonic changes over those spans, right? We change one of our major vendors. We move from one backup vendor to another. We change from tapes to disks. We start adding cloud tertiary copies. Now, each one of those, and, and if you look three, four years back, you'll see tectonic changes. But each one of those steps, they happen on a monthly basis. You know, we throw away our old library and bring in a new VTL and, you know, something like that. And, and, and we have like five of those, so you know they live like four or five years. So you know every year we change one, and we have tapes, and we have disks, and we've, with every new release we have different firmwares, we have new releases, management consoles every four or five years, <laughs> the architecture changes. So whenever something like that happens, for me it's new. But if you're relying on an industry-backed whatever uh, library of checks that you know should cover everything, and we learn a lot from our uh, user community. They'll tell us, oh, we started looking into this. Are you familiar with it? Say, mm, interesting. Let's take a look. Let's take a look together. What did you find? Some of them are. So there is a sort of a community feedback here. And uh, it, maybe it's new for your organization, but it's probably not new for others. And there is definitely a, an opportunity to have a much better starting point. So, you know, I'm deploying... Uh, a cloud target backup, you know, and I want to make sure that I pass all of the checks. So I run a quick scan, 
when it's not yet production and I find what I'm doing well and if there is room for improvement. Usually there is. So, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth uh, a pound of cure, right? So think about your uh, immune system. Let's say it would have run once a year for a day and then it would stop, shut down for the rest of the year. That's not great. It's better than nothing. But so that's, so, so to, to Curtis's point, yeah, one-time scan is awesome. It's important to know if something is wrong, but you know you have to be, or it's better to be, continual. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so the you know I'd I'd like to wrap up, but what I what I am curious about early on you alluded to. I mean, we've kind of discussed some of the things that you recommend that people do, besides obviously running the continual scan. Um, are there some other things that you recommend people do to secure their storage and backup environment? Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing to do is to get to know a little bit more about, uh, I would even read a little bit about the business threats. What can possibly go wrong, right? So maybe, uh, I'm not sure we'll have time to go there today. Why is it important? Really get a good grasp. Uh, it's not a difficult read. If you go to the SNEA site, you go and uh, take a look at the NIST or ISO guide, you'll have a framework. For in, in the NIST guide, there are about 30 different areas you should be looking into. Get familiar with what are the components you need to consider to build a secure framework. Choose, so, you know, so the first step is, you know, get a little bit more knowledge about stored security. Five years ago, it was not accessible. Today it is. There are plenty of resources. In our site, you know, it's www.continuitysoftware.com, resources. You'll find a library of research and guidelines and advice and useful links to other sites. So there is plenty of material out there to get educated. The second thing I would encourage to do is to define, at least at a high level, a set of security standards you'd expect to have. And you can draw... Uh, um, uh, intuition or, 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 or guidelines from the set documents, ISO or NIST or other frameworks. Build a set of baselines. Like, so I want to lock down devices. I want to have password complexities. I want to, um, whatever, uh, set up session cookies or session timeouts. I want to, you know, these are my baselines. Mm -hmm. Define those baselines and then, you know, find a way to periodically review your settings. You know, it's, um, it takes a little uh, doing, but all the building blocks are out there. If you want to use automation, then we would be very happy to help you achieve that. Or you can even script that yourself, right? So it's not everyone has to buy a power saw, right? You can rent it, right? So, but, you know, close the knowledge gap, understand what is there to check. It's a finite list. There are 13 different areas. There are different ways to look at it. It's structured. Pick and choose the, the things that are important to your business and find a way to put repetition into validating that you're clean. This way, whenever you roll out something new and it always happens, you have a, a, at least a point where you can you know, validate your design. So these are three things that you can easily do. Um, and again, our site has a lot of nice videos that simulate how, you know, how hackers think, what they can do in a specific scenario, uh, when you start thinking like that, uh, it can be even interesting <laughs> to think a little bit like a hacker and, and build better designs. 
if you want to make your house burglar proof you should just take a look outside and think critically and say mm, i can get in through here <laughs> what about the basement door what about my tesla keys and so on so uh i can hide in the tesla <laughs> uh, yeah back seat and wait that's for you to good. open the garage doors so uh yeah, I, th that's my advice it's pretty straightforward so yeah, I like the, um, I, I think uh, we'll put some links in the show notes uh, to the to the things that you talked about. I like that idea a lot. Um, basically, just make yourself more knowledgeable is, is the key. Because I, I do think that, you know, our folks tend to be backup-centric um, security. You know, they're learning security. And a lot of backup folks are often junior folks, right? The, this is the job they were able to get and mainly because nobody else wanted it, right? Um, and I mean, that's how, that's how I got my first job in backup. And so, yeah, this is definitely the part of that, the part of the world that you really need to go to, right? You really need to increase your cybersecurity knowledge if you don't have that. If you were listening to this episode and, these uh, acronyms that that uh, we were, you know, rattling off like NIST. If those are foreign to you, definitely follow the links in the show guides to um, to, to learn more about that. Well, uh, Doran, I want to thank you for for coming on the show. Perfect. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And Persona, you uh, continue to get all the blame for my Tesla, but uh, I'm glad you're here anyway. Yeah, thanks, Curtis. And nice to meet you, Doran. And thanks for answering all the questions. I think it's a very compelling uh, solution, right? And solves a very specific problem that I think there's, like you mentioned, right? There's a huge blind spot to this. So I think it's very valuable. And Curtis, I hope one day that you will thank me that, that you bought your Tesla. So I'll just, uh, well, I'm you know, not going to hold my I breath for that you. day, but... There's this, there's this other person in my house that is still blaming you, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe one day. Uh, well, anyway, I, I want to thank our listeners. You know, you, you are why we do this. And remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all.